Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. The, the title uh, for the richest man in the world, you may have heard if you track these things, uh, has recently changed hands. Bernard Arnault, and it's, he's French, so it may be Arnault or something. I don't, I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. Of Louis Vuitton took the, the title from Amazon's Jeff Bezos two weeks ago. I was really worried about Jeff Bezos, you know, the ego hit that he must have taken. Uh, but don't worry, just, just last Friday, Amazon stock went up and, uh, and Bezos took the title back. Uh, their, their net worth, these guys, is just under $200 billion uh, each. And so I think it's sa- safe to say uh, that they are the world's definition of success. If you had the net worth of over a billion dollars, if you had successful companies, if you could buy a vacation home on every continent, if you could spend $500 million on a yacht that needs its own support yacht, uh, then it would be hard, I think, for anyone to look at you and say that you weren't successful in our world. And it's an interesting question, I think, right? Does, does the amount of money you have make you truly successful? What is success? I think it's an important question because what you see as successful is what you will be aiming your life at. I think many people in America and many people in the church absolutely define success this way. Maybe, maybe you know that you'll never have a super yacht. Uh, you know, I don't even know how they categorize that. Like, what's, what's the, how does it go up? Uh, but, but maybe, man, you, if you have enough, you can buy that fishing boat, you know? Um, and maybe you, you won't have a net worth over a billion dollars, right? Not that you wouldn't if you could. You, know, you, you would if you could. Uh, but maybe you can have a certain number in the bank that will make you feel secure and set up for the future. Or maybe a certain amount of money means freedom for you, right? I, if, I'm, if I'm having this much, I can set my own schedule. Or maybe for you, it means I can be comfortable or I can provide for my family. Whatever it is, whatever, whatever your metric is, that's success to you. And whatever the, your motive, your goal, your aim is, will set a lot of the trajectory of your life, right? What you study, how you spend your time, what activities you pursue, how you treat others, Etc. You pursue some version of success. And, and the question is, which one? Right? I think we can subconsciously just pursue something. We, we just accept it as right without even examining and going, is this the right aim in life? Is this, a good, is this a good definition of success that I'm aiming for? Hebrews 11, this chapter that we've been walking through, we're going to close out today. Um, and, and this chapter has described all, all these people uh, these heroes of the faith, this hall of faith, sometimes called, who share one thing, and that's faith. Right? By faith, verse 2 says, our ancestors were approved. So, so faithfulness equals success from the Bible's perspective. What's the Bible's definition of success? The Bible would say, man, a successful person is a faithful person, someone who's faithful to the Lord. Faith is how we are saved. It's how we uh, receive what was promised, Right? We've seen how, how it's how we please God, it's how we draw near to him, it's how we receive the reward. And this whole chapter is aimed, I think, at strengthening our faith. It's aimed at, at our endurance. 
in the faith, helping us to endure, helping us at the very end of chapter 10, it says, helping us not to be those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and save our souls. And so we're closing out this chapter today, and I think we get to, at the end here, a very good definition uh, of, of who is successful, right? Who is the faithful person, the successful person in the Lord's eyes? Three questions we'll use to guide our, our time. Number one, uh, what kind of people are faithful? What kind of people are faithful? Number two, what kind of actions does faith empower? And number three, what kind of promise does faith wait for? What kind of people, what kind of actions, what kind of promise? Pray with me once more. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to gather uh, under your word. Um, I, I pray just that, that we would uh, place ourselves under the authority of your word. Um, we, we're so uh, distracted and we're so weak and uh, we, have, we have so much going on in our lives and our minds um, that, Lord, it's hard for us to, to sit still. It's hard for us to pay attention. It's hard for us um, to, to really place ourselves at your disposal to hear what you have to say. And so I just ask that, that you would clear our minds, clear our hearts. Would you give us this time to focus on you? Lord, and would you speak to us? No one wants to hear from me, um, my ideas. Lord, we, we all need to hear from you. And so would you speak to each of us as we need? You know each person here. You know um, our struggles. You know our, our failures. You know our weaknesses. You know our strengths and our victories. You know everything about us, Lord. You know what we need to hear. And so would you please speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Number one, what kind of people are faithful? What kind of people are faithful? Verse 32, and what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. The author of Hebrews uh, is, is drawing this section to a close. And, and like a good preacher, I, I just think you read Hebrews and you go, man, this guy could preach. I don't know, who, we don't know who he was exactly, but man, he could preach. Um, and like a good preacher, he's saying, Man, we could keep going, but time's too short. Time's too short, right? Well, let's wrap this up. Let's land this plane. Um, but he rattles off this list of people, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. These are all judges, right, from the, the period of, of uh, Israel where, where Israel was ruled by judges. Uh, David, of course, the great king of Israel, right, gets into the monarchy period. Uh, and then Samuel and the prophets, right, which if you go, the, the prophets kind of take you through the rest of the Old Testament, and so he's sort of summarizing the rest of the Old Testament in these six names. Um, and, and those of you who are in the Judges study, I know we, we just did a, in our church a Judges study recently. Um, y'all are going to be disappointed that I'm not going to go into each of these people and their lives. And you're like, man, I really wanted to know how you were going to talk about Samson. Uh, sorry, I just, I, you have to forgive me. Um, yeah, just, I'll, I'll have to just plead the Bible and say time is too short for me to tell about them. All right? You don't want a two-hour sermon anyway, so you're welcome for that. Um, but what can we say? What can we say about these people in general? First, uh, we can say they're known for their exploits, right? If you were in the study, you know this. Um, Gideon put the Midianite oppressors to flight, right? With 300, uh, three, only 300 soldiers, he defeated a whole army with God's help. Barak was a great general under Deborah, the judge. Samson fought mightily against the Philistines, who were the, the enemies of God's people. Jephthah was a great warrior uh, in, who defeated the Ammonites, David defeated Goliath and ruled Israel in the height of, uh, of her power. And so uh, these men were known for the great deeds, these great things that they did. 
They're also known for, uh, and isn't it interesting, the Bible doesn't hesitate to, to tell us the truth about these people, their struggles and their sins. Gideon was hesitant to follow God. Barak was fearful. It says he wouldn't even go to battle unless Deborah went with him. Jephthah made a, a rash vow and sacrificed his only daughter because of it. Samson was just pretty much a horrible person. Like, it's just hard to find anything redeemable about Samson if you read him about him. Um, I mean, David committed adultery and had one of his soldiers murdered to cover it up. What can we say about this? Is, is there something in your past? Something about your life, your situation, some decision you made, some rash action you took that you think would disqualify you from being in this list, from being in the hall of faith? It isn't the point of these people to say, man, God can redeem your life. He, he makes beauty from ashes. John Calvin said, so in every one of these saints, we meet something which deserves censure. And yet, faith, however deformed and imperfect, is approved by God. Therefore, the wrongs which burden us should neither dishearten us nor break us down, provided only that we follow our calling by faith. Be encouraged. Your story isn't written. You're breathing. Your life is not over. <laughs> right? And if you belong to Jesus, you can have confidence in his unfailing love and his grace. What kind of people are faithful? Gideon, Barak, Samson, you, and me. There's room for us. There's room for us in the lineage of the faithful. Number two, what kind of actions does faith empower? What kind of actions does faith empower? 33 says, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Faith empowers mighty victories. Right? These, these are, as we saw last week, they're God's victories. They're the victories that he plans and that he uses his people for. There's no telling what God will use someone who's completely sold out to him for. There's no telling what he will use you for. By faith, all these things were accomplished. And you can see many of them throughout scripture. You can go through each of them, right? And go, man, think about that. Think of shut the mouths of Daniel, shut the mouths of lions, right? You can go through all these things. But that's not where the list stops. It's interesting. It's not where the list of these things these faithful people have been empowered to do ends. And so notice the shift right in the middle of verse 35, right? Women receive their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. The author doesn't skip a beat in this list. Right? By faith, some conquered kingdoms, right? and some were tortured. 
Right? Some administered justice. Some were mocked and scourged. Some shut the mouths of lions. Right? Some were sawn in half. And I think this is interesting because the first half of this list looks sort of like the world's definition of success, doesn't it? If you're conquering, escaping danger, nothing can touch you, enforcing justice, man, you're advancing. You're well-regarded. You're winning at life. But, but the last half of this list looks like the world's definition of failure, doesn't it? If you're homeless, in prison, poor and destitute, bleeding out on the side of the road, you got a gunshot wound, you know, you're losing at life. But this isn't two lists. It's one list. And verse 39 says, all these were approved through their faith. All these were approved through their faith. Faith sometimes empowers great victories. And faith, the same faith, sometimes empowers great endurance in hardship and in pain. Faith sometimes empowers great victories and the same faith sometimes empowers great endurance in hardship and in pain. Now let's think about what this means for a moment. The first thing is, is doesn't this mean that you can't judge someone's life from the outside? Right? I think we should be very slow to look at anyone who's doing well in life right, and say, man, they're doing it right. They got it together. I think we should be very slow to look at anyone who's down and out in life and say, they're doing it wrong. Right? The guy who is destitute can be faithful. The guy who's conquering kingdoms can be faithful. Second, doesn't this mean that we should be slow to judge our own lives by external circumstances? I think we do this. We take events uh, that happen to us and make them indicators of, of how we're doing, of, or, you know, of if God loves us, right? If he's having favor on us, right? We say, man, I lost my job. I must have done something wrong. God must be upset at me. Or, or man, I made it through this round of layoffs, God's favor, God's favor. He's blessing me. I must be doing something right. And we can see from this passage, it's not that simple, right? It's not that simple. By faith, some have escaped the edge of the sword and some have died by the sword. Both by faith. And brothers and sisters, we, we judge each other so harshly so often. Right, if there's one thing Christians are good at, it's being judgmental, isn't it? We, we, we think things like, man, man, that family whose kids left the faith man, should have been more faithful in family worship. That person making all that money, uh, they've probably sold their soul to the devil, you know. Right, the person struggling to make rent each month, they're lazy, they're ent- entitled. Right, and we could go on, and couldn't we could go on and on with much more petty examples than that? Um, we judge each other so harshly. We, we also I mean, condemn ourselves so often. Right? How, how's your self talk? Man, I'm, I'm worthless. 
I'm just not good at relationships. Man, I'm, I'm unlovable. I'm unforgivable. I'm not worth anything. Jesus wants to free you from all of that. Jesus said, don't judge. Right? Don't judge lest ye be judged. Old King James says. You're not the judge, actually. <laughs> right? And I'm not. There, there is a judge, right, who's quite, quite good at his job. And it's not us. Right? You, you can give up all attempts to control others by your judgment of them. You can give up all attempts to, to bolster your self-image by what you disapprove of. You don't have to do that. Right? People really are loved by the Father. We, we can stop judging them. And, and you can give up every way that you, you punish yourself with shame. Isn't that what you're doing? You're punishing yourself with shame. Right? There's someone who took your punishment. You don't have to punish yourself anymore. You really are loved by the Father. You can give up the demeaning self-talk that you engage in each day. Jesus died for people. He died for you. He died for his enemies. And that changes everything. Can I just mention this as well? I, I, I think as the church, we need to model the way forward right? in, in our society. Right? We need to model the way of Jesus to others. In, in this time of, of intense tribalism, right, where you either agree with me in every way, socially, politically, doctrinally, any other Lee you could throw in there, right? You better agree with me in everything or else you're a heretic and an abomination and an enemy of all things good and a, I'm gonna write you off forever, right? I'll have nothing to do with you, right? We have, to, we have to model another way. We need to be a people of love. We need to be able to see the good in everyone, right? Since everyone was made in the image of God. We need to reject hatred in every form. We need to be unafraid. We don't have to fear. Right? We, we need to stand courageously for the truth in love. We need to lay down our lives for our enemies. Right? Because we love our enemies and we want them to be our brothers. We need to consider others Consider others, and especially the others who we disagree with, consider them more significant than ourselves, more important than ourselves. In Galatians, Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. It seems like all you see everywhere including in the church, is people biting and devouring one another. And where does that lead? Paul says, watch out or you'll be consumed. <laughs> you'll, you'll eat each other up, right? No, that, that's not the way. There's a better way. There's a better way. And if the church doesn't model it, who will? 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Lastly, the last implication is I think this calls for patience. I think this calls for patience. Um, Faith sometimes empowers great victories, sometimes empowers great endurance, right? And and if I could choose, right, I'll I'll be the guy who conquers by faith, not the guy sawn in two. You know, if it's like, Lord, if we could be faithful either way, and if I have a say in this, I go with the conquering one, (laughs) right? Like, that's what you, we, we would all choose the first part, right? But it's not my choice, is it? It's not my choice. We, we want control. We, we like to think we have a, a control over our lives, some measure of control. But doesn't life show us, doesn't experience show us over and over, we don't have control. We're not in control. So what, so what do we do? We trust the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths, right? We walk with him step by step, by faith, whatever comes. We need to be patient. Number three, what kind of promise does faith wait for? What kind of promise does faith wait for? Verse 39, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, so they would not be made perfect without us. These faithful men and women that we've talked about didn't receive ultimately what was promised. Right, they, it says they greeted it from afar, right? They knew they were strangers and exiles in this land. They greeted the promise from afar. They didn't see it happen though. And this gets to the theme of Hebrews, uh, which is how the work of Jesus in the new covenant fulfills and surpasses that of the old covenant. Look at how Hebrews begins, right? Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, long ago, God spoke to the ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Um, you might say that all the people we've talked about so far in this chapter uh, you know, have related to God faithfully as they could, as he had revealed them himself to them. Verse two, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, God has appointed him the heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. That's how the book begins. Um, And then Hebrews makes the argument throughout that Jesus is our true and better sacrifice. Right? He's the true and better sacrifice that truly takes away sin. The blood of bulls and goats, all the sacrificial system could not truly cleanse people, but the once for all sacrifice of Jesus does. Right? The book goes on to say, Jesus is our true and better high priest, the one who intercedes before God for us. Right? The old high priest, they, they were flawed. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't do everything they needed to, but Jesus can go into the very throne room of heaven for us. In Hebrews 12, too, Jesus is called the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. So what is the something better? What's the something better that God has provided for us? It's Jesus, right? All you Sunday school, people who grew up in Sunday school are like, I knew that one, right? <laughs> I knew the answer there. It's always Jesus. Uh, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the substance that the old covenant pointed toward. Uh, the old covenant was the shadow 
But Christ is the reality. The old covenant was the foretaste. Christ is the meal. He's the banquet. Uh, the, the old covenant was good, but lacking. The new covenant in Christ is the radiance of God's glory, the complete fullness. And this is how we are connected to our brothers and sisters throughout the ages. But we're connected in Christ. Right, so that they would not be made perfect without us. It says, Hebrews 10, 14 says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. So it's by the blood of his cross and by the power of his resurrection that he has saved and is making perfect all his sons and daughters, right? Past, present, and future. We're all connected in Christ and by his sacrifice and his empty tomb. We're, we're caught up, right? We're caught up in the story of, of, of Abel, we're caught up in Enoch's story. We're caught up in the story of Noah, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Joseph, of Moses, of Rahab, of, of Matthew, of Paul, of John, of, of every believer who's ever lived and who ever will live. It's a story of the love of a gracious God, right? Of a God who saves sinners. It's the grand story of redemption. It, it's the story of the universe, right? It's the story of everything, the creation itself, right, longs for the revealing of the sons of God. We, when we rebelled against God, the whole creation was broken. It was subjected to futility and subjected to, to decay. But it will one day sing the song of the redeemed when the sons and daughters of God leap from their tombs. The faithful in the Old Testament waited for the promise to be fulfilled. And Jesus is that fulfillment. We've seen the kingdom of God inaugurated on earth, right? Jesus said, the kingdom of God's at hand. And we will one day, with them, see the king coming in, in his glory. So what? So what? As we close this chapter... Um, how do we, what do we, what do we leave with? And we'll, we'll talk, um, uh, we'll look at Hebrews 12, one and two. Um, this is directly after our Hebrews 11 passage. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As I said, this chapter's aim is endurance. Since all these witnesses, right, the word there is the root word for martyrs, and many of them were martyrs, all these witnesses surround us, all these who ran their race imperfectly, but with faith, we can see that we too have a race to run. They testify to us how worth it it was to follow the Lord. And so there's a race that lies before each of us. Your race isn't my race, right? We have different things laid out, but, but there are some similarities between all of us, right? There are always hindrances. There's always things that get in the way. There, there are always temptations, it says, that easily ensnare us. We're so prone to, to fall into sin. We, we all have Jesus to keep our eyes on. And we all need endurance. We all need endurance. When I think of endurance, 
Um, I think of, of Corey and Betsy Tinboom, um, who were sent to the Nazi concentration camps uh, during World War II because of the way they hid Jews uh, when the Nazis occupied Holland. Uh, the, these ladies, are, they're such unlikely heroes, right? Uh, these, these two women in their 50s, single sisters uh, who were happily living their lives as watchmakers in Holland with their elderly father. When the Jews began to be deported, uh, they, they knew it was their Christian responsibility uh, to help as many as they could. So they did. Uh, and it's estimated that, that they saved over 800 lives with their work and their efforts. But they were caught, uh, they were arrested, they were sent to a concentration camp. Um, Corey was the only one out of the three to survive the war. Early on in their imprisonment, Casper uh, Tinboom, Corey and, and Betsy's father, it was very old, right, very old at this point, uh, but he was given the chance to, to be released and to go back home. And this is how Corey recounts it in her, in her book, The Hiding Place. Uh, they were taken to the Gestapo headquarters, and it picks up there. Suddenly, the chief interrogator's eye fell on father. That old man, he cried, did he have to be arrested? You, old man. William led father up to the desk. The Gestapo chief leaned forward. I'd like to send you home, old fellow, he said. I'll take your word that you won't cause any more trouble. I could not see father's face, only the erect carriage of his shoulders and the halo of white hair above them. But I heard his answer. If I go home today, he said evenly and clearly, tomorrow I will open my door again to any man in need who knocks. And he was sent back to the line. And he died 10 days later. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Betsy and Corey were sent to a horrible women's concentration camp called Ravensbrück. And after several months, uh, Betsy died there, full, full of faith and hope. Full of faith and hope. She, shortly before she died, she told Corey, when we get out, we're, we're, we have a message to share with people. We need to tell people that there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. The tin booms were destitute, mistreated, imprisoned, afflicted, and the world was not worthy of them. And they, of course, could only do that because of their Savior and ours, Jesus Christ. Um, Hebrews 12 says, For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross. He was mistreated and afflicted, beaten and bloodied. He hung naked on Golgotha's hill. Of everyone who has ever lived, the world was most certainly not worthy of him. The son of God executed as a criminal. But it did not end there. You see that it says he endured the cross and then it says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, which is not something generally that people do if they are dead, <laughs> right? He rose from the dead. He hit the devil with a knockout punch. He, blast, he blasted death apart. He sealed our freedom and he's seated now at the right hand, the place of authority. He is the faithful one and he loves us.
I, I don't know what the race looks like in front of you, uh, but what if instead of keeping our eyes on money, on comfort, on fame, success, prestige, freedom, position, getting ahead, what if we kept our eyes instead on Jesus? What if he were our goal, our joy, our life? And we have need of endurance. We have need of endurance. People drop out of the race all the time and it's heartbreaking. Don't let it be you. Don't let it be those you love. Keep on looking at Jesus. May God make us faithful. May he make us those who endure. May he make us those the world is not worthy of for the good of the world and for the glory of our good father. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in great need, more need than we know. We are so weak. We are, we are so easily ensnared by sin. There's so many hindrances to us following you. But Lord, now we look to you. We look to Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you give us such a vision of Jesus, such a, a true vision of his love for us, of all that he's done for us on the cross, that we would endure with faith. God, forgive us where, we, where we've, even unknowingly, just pursued wrong things. We've just pursued uh, things in life and, and aims that were given to us that, that uh, we just blindly accepted um, that, that are not good, are not helpful, don't, don't lead to life. Forgive us for those things. And, and would, you, would you help us to follow you? Pray for anyone in here who doesn't know you. Um, Lord, now that you would draw them to yourself, you would pour your love into their hearts by your Holy Spirit, and that you would show yourself to them in a way that they can't deny. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.